0: And welcome back to the and Whistle Podcast. This is Scott Botkinson. I'm joined with Adam Brick today. And before I pass it over to Adam, I want to first say thanks to everyone that's listening today. Uh, we've had a lot of people uh, send us emails since our last podcast asking us to do a little bit more regular. Um, I'm not sure that you want us being regular at all. But uh, let me just uh, first say that I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, today we're being uh, we're hosted today by the VNN here in Vienna, Virginia. They have great chili dogs and you can come by any time of the day and get uh, beer, chili dogs, breakfast, whatever you need. So, hope uh, you'll consider using the Vienna Inn for one of your next meetings or one of your next gatherings. The other sponsor we have today is the Steve Gordon Basketball Officials Camp. So, if you want to visit the website, it's updated now. SGBOC registration is open. And uh, I want to thank, we have two guests today, Adam. So, we have Irv Green and Andre Jones joining us today, so maybe we'll just start with, you know, something that may be on your mind. So, Adam, what's on your mind today?
1: Well, I'm concerned that anybody's worried about whether or not you're regular or irregular, but that's a different story. Um, I think the coffee might help with that, maybe some prune juice. Um, what's on my mind as we move through the season and we're kind of knee-deep in the district playing high school, Um, are two things that, my guess, ticks off coaches more than anything else. And we talk about one of them a lot, and so I'm just going to mention it. As a bullet point, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it, is lack of communication where coaches are just looking for some form of acknowledgement that we've heard what they had to say. We've talked about that ad nauseum, Um, no pun intended with regularity there, but um, the, the second one is a lack of hustle. And that really is something that not only ticks off coaches, I know that it really ticks me off too. Um, it's no different than coaches with their players. They can accept errors of commission. If you make a hustle play as a, as a player, throw the ball away, miss a shot, turn it over. Um, but if you're not hustling, coaches get ticked off. The same thing with referees. We have to get... To the proper spot in order to see the play, and the only way to do that most of the time is to hustle. And the other word for hustle is run. Um, I know that as we get older, perhaps we're not as fast as we were, but we still have to put forth the effort. And I would say that from the hu- in terms of hustle, particularly in games that are blowouts, don't give the coach that's on the short end of the stick. Something that she or he can hang their hat on saying, there goes that official, not hustling again, doesn't care, he or she's giving up on the game. When it's obviously not the case for us, but that's certainly the perception we give off when there's a lack of hustle. We need to work harder when the second or third team comes in. Those kids deserve every ounce of our effort because they don't get to play a whole lot. So um, those, that's the really the big thing that I've seen over the last couple of weeks in not only watching some games live but also watching some games on tape is, a, is just an overall lack of hustle.
0: Yeah, Adam, I, I, I agree. This one actually hits pretty hard uh, for me because we look at a lot of video, and in the videos, we're, we're trying to find clips and different things that we can learn from and share with our officials uh, learning from different plays, how our positioning is. And when we see a uh, video where we don't even have officials inside the frame because they haven't crossed the division line yet, it, it, it really becomes uh, difficult as for those that are, are really passionate about officiating. So, um, you know, in, in my own situation, yeah, I'm basically referring on one leg. I got, you know, a bad knee, uh, almost bone on bone. And. You know, for me to, to get up and down the court, it's really difficult. And, you know, some of that is I'm carrying too much weight anyway. Um, but, you know, and I got to fix that. But you know, I'm still out there and I'm trying my best. And it just it really just really pisses me off when I see our officials, or any any officials, not just ours, but any officials that aren't hustling. They're they're cheating up the court, or they're not even in the frame. They're standing out by the division line. They, they work their C. Instead of going free throw, free throw line to free throw line, they're working it from top of the key to top of the key. So I, I agree with that. The, the, the one thing I would say, and I'm, I'm just talking about what's on my mind here, that uh, is uh, an addition, is in, in watching a lot of the videos, I don't think we as officials, especially at the high school level, do a very good job of protecting shooters. There's uh, you know, a couple of different things that are are being taught at higher levels, like up, down, rebound. So when you think about that, you have the jump shooter that goes up, you take them all the way down, and then you go to the rebound. And what ends up happening is people, once the ball is released, they, they turn their eyes to the basket. And defenders are getting a lot more savvy now where, if you remember, uh, especially in the national championship game, the corner three-point shot where the defender jumps from point A to point B, gets underneath the defender, um, and the official, I, I think it was James Breeding, I'm not sure if it was James Breeding or not, but did a great job staying with the shooter. And it just teaches you that you can learn from some of these other officials. Stay with that shooter all the way up and all the way down. Don't let the defender take away the landing spot, either with a foot out or by jumping into the area. Let's make sure we protect the shooter. So... I'm going to uh, ask our guests, though, if they want to chime in on any of this or if they have something else on their mind. So, uh, Andre, I'm going to start with you. And, and, you know, is there anything on your mind that you want to talk about?
2: Scott, thanks. Uh, The thing that's on my mind is just exhibiting restraint. Uh, I think too often, like you said, we're the target as officials Um, who stand out. But whether it's the crowd or coaches or, you know, acting a little bit out of character or whatnot, it's using the right amount of restraint To one, help the game get better. If you go back jaw jacking with a coach, uh, you're not helping your crew or helping the game get better in that sense. So, like you said, if a coach is peeved about something, hey, coach, we can have a conversation. But you know, I need you just hey, bring the level down just a little bit, and we can talk. Um, Like I said, you get caught in your emotions sometimes, and you want to bite back, but you can't take that bait. And opposite of that, we can't be setting traps for coaches or players to act out of character in a sense. So, you know, using the right amount of straight to stop, think, have the cool head, and be collective with what you're trying to say and what you're trying to articulate is very, very important. And also, like you said, what comes from the stance. Uh, like you said, We have very, very passionate fans that come to these games. We have some people who are probably not of the most well-spoken, and some of the comments they make that are directed at us can be personal, and it can cut hard. But uh, to overreact, or to be petty, or to be having the wrong type of reaction not just hurts yourself uh, from a perception standpoint, but also hurts the crew. So having the right amount of restraint to utilize game management if need be like I think said, it's going to help the game get better in a sense.
0: Andre, yeah, that's that's a very good comment. And, you know, a lot of our officials could learn from each other as well. And you can learn from just watching how other officials manage the relationships with coaches. And it's not just the head coaches. It's assistant coaches as well. And the, the years past, we were always talking about stay away from the assistants, stay away from the assistants. If they stand up while the clock is running. You know, you need to warn them, you need to give them a technical foul. And and a lot of times, as I've gotten older and more wise, I've found that I've been able to learn how to use my assistant coaches, uh, you know, in in a different degree. So I I would say to our officials, go out and, and watch somebody Um, Like Adam or or watch somebody else and see what they do right and what they do wrong and filter it in and out and you'll you'll really uh, enjoy it and and you'll be able to take from that as well. So um, I appreciate Andre chiming in and uh, I'm going to jump straight ahead over to um, we have some friends that do a podcast. Over at the Nova Hoops Cast, so uh, Brian and Kevin do a uh, great hoop cast here in the uh, Northern Virginia area, talking about the different boys high school teams in the area, and, and they do a fantastic job. And they mentioned something last week, and they they talked about specifically officials and our officials and Cardinal, and uh, they really uh, came to our defense, if you will. And and so Adam, one of the things that they said is, you know, let's stay away from. You know, going after officials, these, these people are doing things that, uh, you know, they're taking time away from their families, they're human, they're going to make mistakes, and you and I talked about it a long time ago, uh, especially when we started looking at some of the stats that were coming down from the NBA. NBA officials are getting 95 to 97 percent of every time they blow the whistle, they're getting the calls correct. They are professional. They are doing this night in, night out. They look at videos all day. You get down to the college level. It's not uh, as in depth as the NBA, but they're probably you know right around 87 to 90 percent. Some will have a little bit higher on their percentages as far as getting calls right. When you're dealing with high school officials, you're dealing with somebody that is is getting out of the work, jumping in a car, uh, white knuckling it if there's traffic, trying to get to the game on time. Uh, probably talking to their spouse, telling them they're going to be late that night. There's a lot of different things that are going on. The amount of calls that a high school official correct. I think, Adam, we were looking at like 82 to 85%. So I would say, you know, first of all, to the to the guys at Nova Hoopcast, thank you for sharing that. Um, and we agree with you. We don't think it's necessarily the students or the problems for officials, at not, nor are the coaches. You know, we have a, a pretty good relationship with our coaches. We have a really good relationship with with the student athletes. And the students are just trying to get under each other's skin. So there's, there's really nothing coming after us. Where we have a, a, an issue is with parents. And I think that's a, an issue that's that's growing more. We're hearing more about it, and you know, we get somebody in the stands that's that's uh, you know, ill-equipped to get out there and run up and down the court, but yet they like to scream at us. and And I would say this this one thing to you as a parent, if you're listening, just remember this: you know, we're gonna learn rules. We're gonna look at three different types of rule books: the, the rule book, the case book, the manual. We've got to learn all about positioning. We're gonna take the ten weeks of classes. We're going to go out on the court. We're going to wear some really cool polyester pants and a, a striped shirt with a, a tricked-out patch on it that says VHSL for us. And we're going to go run a 5K. And, by the way, we have to make decisions in a split second and get them right. And we'd have to try to get them right 85% of the time or higher. Um, and and for the fans that sit in the stands, they want us to be at 100% and then we we'll get better from there. So I want to say, you know, if if you're interested, we'd love to have you. Come out to the class. We'd, we'd love to we'd love to have you join us. But put yourselves in our shoes and, and understand what we go through. We have a lot of officials that are very dedicated to what they do. Um, they take a lot of pride in it. They want to do things the right way. They don't care who wins and loses. Uh, we had an official last week. He buried his father on Saturday and worked a game on Monday. And I think that just talks about the commitment of some of our officials. And I, and I hope that that... Uh, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully paint a picture for some people that understand that, you know, hey, we're human. We're going through things, too. We have kids that are going through SATs in college and kids that are dealing with emotional issues and, and get sick and everything else. So, um, you know, I, I appreciate uh, the guys at Nova Whocast, uh, you know, sharing that information. And hopefully that paints a little bit more of the picture. So, Adam, you got any thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I actually kind of want to piggyback on what Andre talked about a little bit earlier because I'm going to guess that amongst our, you know, dozens and dozens of listeners that there aren't many parents listening to this. I want to talk to the officials. Um, Scott talked about how there are days where it's tough getting to games, right? You've had a tough day at the office, something with your kids, whatever it might be. You're in traffic and if you're if you're living in a place like we do around here, um, there's no such thing as rush hour. It's rush day. Um, that you've got to figure out a way as a referee, whether you're refereeing a rec game, a freshman game, a JV game, a varsity game, it doesn't matter, how to check that baggage at the door. Um, I look at refereeing a basketball game kind of as my oasis away from the day. And you've got to get yourself mentally prepared on your way to a game. That could be listening to music. That could be some people listen to, um, you know, Books on tape, whatever it might be. Um, but, but get yourself mentally and psychologically prepared to go out on the court and to leave everything else behind. Because for those kids, whatever the game is, it's, it's the only game they're playing that night. And so I always look at it, whatever game I've got, um, it must be the big game of the night because I'm on it. If, it. if I wasn't on it, it wouldn't be the big game, right? you got to have that kind of ego to survive uh, this game. Um, one, it's interesting. one of the national statistics that I've seen um, in regard to new officials is that when a, when a new official starts particularly in recreation and maybe he or she is a teenager starting out refereeing recreational could be basketball soccer doesn't matter they last an average about of a year because they can't take the abuse that they're getting from parent fans um, and an adult who starts officiating Lasts an average of about three years, and so while some would say we have we just don't have enough available officials, I would argue that we just don't have enough officials because people are leaving the sport, um, and so I think again it comes back to the ideas of compassion and empathy, um, and we have to exhibit the same things when we deal with coaches. And Andre was talking about that earlier. Their strength. Put your put yourself in the coach's shoes, because let me tell you. They deal with parents way more than we have to deal with parents. And I don't know how they do, but they do. Adam,
0: that, that's a dynamite point. And I, and I think it would be really good since we have Irv here. Uh, Irv coached for how many years at South Lakes? 20? 20 years of, of high school coaching before he became an official. So he understands the other side of the fence. And a lot of times we as officials don't know. You know, When we leave, when we go home, you know, we leave that game, we're done with it, we're on to the next one. Uh, you know, but coaches—they have to deal with you know parents. You know, little Jimmy didn't get enough playing time. Why isn't Billy getting the ball? And so, I think it'd be good to get perspe- uh, perspective from Irv from a coach's standpoint and how that transitioned to him to uh, doing it from a uh, uh, an officiating
3: standpoint. Thanks, Scott. The um, from the coach's standpoint, it's from what I you know the experience that I had as a as, uh, coach and assistant coaches uh, dealing with parents wasn't always the easiest thing I mean you could you could um, win a thousand games and they're still not happy um, coming down to you know playing time for Johnny and why didn't you know my my kid play more than another kid and it was always what we try to get the parents to understand is let's look at your child and just your child alone and. And not try to compare because there, there are differences between you know the players on the teams, and that's why some play more than, than others. Uh, and, and our thing, you know, back at South Lakes has always been, you know, we always would hope and wish that the kids would just grab on and, and just be part of that success because there was a lot of success there, and you just couldn't get kids to buy into that. And, and you know, things weren't always peaches and cream at South Lakes. We, we did have those issues as well. Uh, dealing with parents Um, you know we had a parent come in one time met with us and wanted the offense to run strictly through their kid and that's not the way that we you know did things there we wanted the kids to play together as a team Um, now now yeah breaking down film I mean there's a lot of stuff that goes into coaching It's not just rolling out the ball or showing up on game day um, and, and coaching now on the flip side before getting into officiating, we thought that all the officials did was just show up and blew the whistle and that was it. Um, but now being an official, I see that it's more than just showing up and calling the game. I mean there's there's a lot more to it. I mean you gotta, you know, work your craft and and, and wanna have that passion to be a good official. Um can't just show up and, and on game day and just make that be your, your end all be all. I mean, there's more to it than just the season. I mean, out of season, there's things that you have to do to become a better uh, official. Um, yeah, there, there are parents who get a little overboard. I'm not, maybe not little, but they do go overboard in terms of uh, um, how they feel officials call the game. Um, it's it's to me. I I mean, just starting out as an official myself, the, the one thing that I had to get used to is learning how to blow the freaking whistle because. And, and as a coach, we never used the whistle in practices uh, because, you know, when the Bird, his thing was the officials blow the whistles. We don't. So we wanted the kids to get used to hearing the officials' whistles, not you know, coming in practice. So, but that's that's another thing. But um, being an official, it takes a whole lot. You can't just be an in-season official. You have to be. Maybe that's something I should talk about. You know, being on my mind, but. In season is not enough, in my opinion. I mean, there there are guys who have been doing it a long time. I get that, but some of the younger guys I feel need to um, spend a little more time in out of season, um, getting better at their craft of officiating because there are things that they would be able to deal with that a lot of them don't do a good job of dealing with in season if they did it out of season. So um, that's basically all I have. Those are great thoughts, Irv. Now this brings us to
1: the segment where we talk about our pet peeves, and I want to kind of stay on topic. Um, and my pet peeve for for this one is parents um, acting up in the stands. And first, let me preface that by saying I think we're really talking about a small percentage of the people of the, of the parents, but they're the ones we focus most of the time on because it's their behavior that that draws attention to them. Um, I would encourage folks to go um, look at a USA Hockey national advertisement that they put out. If you you can get it on, I, just, I saw it on iSpotTV.com, and it's called "Relax, It's Just a Game." And the video shows a dad at the window of the school while a kid's taking a test, yelling at the kid about taking the test. There's the pencil, there's the paper, do this, do that, and then it transitions into the dad behind the glass at a hockey game yelling at the kid about what he needs to do with the puck and get up the ice and do this and do that. Um, And as a parent myself who has kids that play multiple sports, it's important for us as parents to just support our kids. The kids just want us to know that, or just want to know that we're there we enjoy watching them play, right? It's the old saying that the only thing you're supposed to talk to your kid about after a game is to say, "I love to watch you play." It's not time to critique them. That's the coach's job, right? Um, and, and so my pet peeve with parents is, are those that sit in the stands, and I don't do that to their kids. I, I have a hard time when I when I hear parents yelling at their kids or other people's kids. I quite honestly couldn't care less when they yell at me. I'm, I'm old. I'm deaf. Um, it doesn't bother me anymore. But I laugh when I hear. Parents yelling three seconds when the ball is being shot and rebounded, shot and rebounded, shot and rebounded, and they're yelling three seconds. They don't know the rules. Um, it, it, it's amazing and, it, and it's somewhat embarrassing, and I think they embarrass their own children uh, at times. So, you know, the whole notion of some decorum, um, again, compassion, empathy, uh, and just be supportive uh, of your children. There's nothing wrong with passion. Um, as long as it's directed in the right manner um, and towards a, a positive environment for the kids his or her teammates his or her coaches and yeah at the end of the day us as officials um, so that, that that's my pet peeve for the week so I think Andre's got an excellent pet peeve he wants to share with us today
2: I And mean, that's a good point with the parents uh, I tend to laugh you know, I always look at the guy who's in the second and third row of an empty gym, and it's like all the space is there. You have to be so close to the bench to be able to get your two cents across as a fan. So I, I always find that hysterical. Like you said, like, your comments are going to make the difference in how this game going to be called. Uh, wait, die now, three. Let me stop and change my call because of what he said. Um, but for that, and with that, I think, like you said, for us, it's confidence. Uh, you know, I notice this. I see this a lot we got folks out there who call the game, and they give a preliminary almost on every single call. And it's not necessary. It just bothers me. You have an obvious call. It's a hand check or something of that nature. And you have to do the preliminary signal right there at the spot. You know, I call those the Ray Charles calls. You know, he can get those right. Be confident what you got. You know, you don't have to worry about being scrutinized when you're going. Report it. Look sound. Look strong. Let your mechanics tell the story and go from there. But... Some people are not as confident, so they feel they have to oversell a call or try and give a preliminary that's really not even needed and kind of devalues how you're going to report or what you're bringing to the table. So that's just a pet peeve of mine. Just be confident what you got. Go report it to the table strongly, crisply, look good, and go from there. pass that.
3: Thank you, Andre. Uh, One of my pet peeves is when team calls timeout, team just scored. And team calls timeout, and the coach looks, asks, where's the spot? We tell him where the spot is. And then, can we run the in line? Yes, you can run the in line. They drop this play, then they come out, and we give the signal, you know, hit the whistle, give it to the kid, and then the kid just stands there. I'm like, okay, is he going to run? that drives me crazy for some reason for me it drives me crazy and the kid just stands in with the ball and then next thing you know six seconds later we have a five second violation so you like the six second violation not five second violation Adam. dang well better make
1: sure it's six not 4.9 not 4.8 not 5.1 six. but that's my pet peeve. thanks ervin On on timeouts, my pet peeve on timeouts, since you're talking about it, is when a coach calls a timeout and the referee does find out whether it's a 30 or a full, and the first people the referee thinks he needs to tell are his partners. No. Because we don't really care, well, at least I don't, (laughs) where the officials stand during timeouts. You got to tell the other coach what's going on. That's the most important part. Tell the other coach... Whether it's a full or a 30, and make sure both coaches, particularly if the ball, if it wasn't after a basket, make sure they understand where the ball is being put in play. Because coaches go into timeouts, setting up plays, and when they think it's on the end line, there you go, Mike Preston, end line. And it comes out, and we put it on the sideline, and that screws up their entire play that they just drew up for the last 30 seconds or a minute. So, again, that goes to the whole communication piece
0: all right real good so i'll end the pet peeve segment with mine is when officials break down video and what i find is if you're an official and you're on one of these uh facebook groups uh there are people that are constantly putting out clips of plays it's a block charge play and it's a block charge play that could go either way it's 50 50 and then people are just arguing back and forth and back and forth and one of the questions i always ask is well, what happened before this play happened what happened in the game prior to this what happened in the first half you know did we have other plays that were very similar that we always called block and now we're calling charge but because we're just clipping this play on its own and singling it out it makes it right in somebody's mind so um, the other thing is I, I would try to look at things holistically understand things from a macro level as opposed to a micro level what's happening in the game how are things you know going when I break down video, I don't just break down video to say, Well, I got that call right. I mean we can all do that. And and I think that, you know, if you're doing that, you're probably missing the point of what really video breakdown is. And, you know, Adam and I break down a lot of videos. Actually I, I had broken down one of my own videos and had him do it over and, you know, it was it was good for me because, you know, I felt like I maybe I was being too lenient, which is why I asked him to do it. And so when we look at, at plays I'm looking at positioning. I'm looking at, you know, not only my positioning, my partner's positioning, you know, could I have had a secondary on this? Is this a good place for a double whistle? Why did we miss that? Is it because our positioning was wrong? Did our eyes not follow the play correctly? You know, did we leave the shooter too early? So those are things that are, that are becoming pet peeves for me is when you break down video, you got to learn how to break down the video. And if you're not sure, find somebody that's established you know talk to somebody if you know an NBA official you know have them break down a video because they do it every single day um, you know talk to some of the, the mentors in your group and, and the, in our group we have the executive rating uh, committee these are the people that do a lot of the training and development of our officials every one of those uh, members knows how to break down video to a certain level that that can help you so that would be my pet peeve which we're well, gonna break down video let's do it to get it right and make sure that we're, we're looking at it from a holistic standpoint as opposed to just on a single basis. All right, so before we get out to the end of this week, we come to our mailbag segment. We have a few questions this week, so again, we thank everybody for their questions. Uh, first question comes from Coach Diane Lewis. Uh, Diane is the coach at Edison High School, and her question is specifically regarding end-of-game situations. And it says, Scott, there was a game where we were well ahead of our opponent and the official chose mm-hmm. to ignore uh, a basic rule of the game. Is this something that's common, and what are some of the, the, the rules that are ignored? Um, so, uh, Diane, first of all, thanks for the question. It's always great to hear back from from uh, coaches as well. I, I would first say that in a game where the, the score is uh, – you know at a higher level where at least in this area when it's above 30 points we we, we run the clock in the fourth quarter and in some cases the, the entire second half depending on what district it is and I, I would say that we're a little bit more focused on the game management side of things when it gets to that point we want to protect players we have players of different levels coming into the game maybe players that didn't play in the first half and now are showing up and playing maybe don't have the same skill set so for me it's more about making sure that we are getting the fouls that we need to get. A team that's down by 38 points and there's a marginal travel 40 feet from the basket, or there's a three second to be called that's not really having any impact on what's going on in the game, those are plays that I would say are, are ones that generally are, are overlooked on purpose because we're not trying to, to nick and pick the, the little plays on that point. We're just trying to do the game management and protect the kids. So. Um, i don't know adam you got any thoughts on this one
1: no i concur with what you said and you know it's interesting to get a, a, a question from the caliber of coach that diane lewis is both from a competitive standpoint in terms of her wins and losses which if you talk to her for an hour she never let you know that because she's that good and then secondly you know we give out a, a, our association gives out sportsmanship awards to teams and last year her team won the Girls' Sportsmanship Award. So this question comes from a coach who does a tremendous job and is in coaching for the right reasons and develops not just basketball players but terrific young women who go on to do terrific things. So really do appreciate Dan sending it in, and and I would concur. I mean, a lot of times the way I like to frame the fourth quarter of a game that is very lopsided is we're a UN UN peacekeeping mission. We're there to make sure – that nobody gets hurt, nobody gets out of line. And so while in most games we're applying advantage, disadvantage, rough play to contact plays, for those of you that are old enough to remember the tower philosophy, um, that's when I begin to apply advantage, disadvantage to violations Hmm. um, to try to make sure that we can just keep the game moving We can all make our dinner reservations, although I don't go to places that take reservations. Although at the Vienna Inn, you can get a reservation. Just call here and ask for Chris, and she'll get you a reservation.
0: So, Adam, you brought up a good point about Diane and the Sportsmanship Award. One of the things that she said in a private conversation I had with her was they had a a book error on one of the other teams, and and she just wanted to have the knowledge so that she could turn down the technical foul because that's the kind of person she is. She wants to make sure that they were showing good sportsmanship and she felt that the official was uh, just trying to sweep it under the rug. So anyway, Diane, thanks again for the question. Um, We really appreciate everything that you're doing for the women's game, especially in this area. So our next question comes from uh, one of our our, uh, regular listeners, Scott Grove. Uh, Scott used to be one of our officials, now lives up in Connecticut, and he asked, and I I think this is a really good question, so I'm going to let you start with this. You know, what do you talk about at halftime is the question. So, you come in after the first half. What, the, what do you talk about as a crew? What are some of the things that, that he can add to his portfolio?
1: Actually, my first conversation or my, the first thing that's out of my mouth is a question to the crew is, how are we feeling, guys, gals? How are we feeling tonight? Everybody feel like we're on the same page? Do we have any problems that we need to address in the second half? And then from there, it depends on the experience of the crew. It depends on the score of the game. Depends on the the atmosphere. When what do we need to take care of in the second half? Because typically, what I always tell my crews is that the second half is the money half. Um, whatever we just did in the first half is great, but we really earn our keep for refereeing the second half of the game. It's very rare where the second half is easier to officiate than the first half. It's only going to get harder. And hard. so I talk about concentration level, uh, the consistency. Uh, And communication, the the same thing I talk about in my pregame, um, which for some of you that have worked with me don't think I really have one, but it's, again, it's about consistency, concentration, communication, and don't forget to take your common sense with you out to the court. Yeah, I I
0: agree with that, and Andre, I'm going to turn it over to you so you can chime in as well, but I, I want to say, one of the questions I always ask my crew also is, what have we called, what haven't we called, what have we established? You know, if we haven't established, uh, you know, a closely guarded count, and then we come out and we change the way that that's being officiated, um, you know, it kind of sets the wrong tone. So we want to find out what we've already established and what we haven't already established. So Andre, uh, why don't you chime in with some of the things you might talk about at halftime?
2: Yeah, that's a great point, Scott. I mean, cataloging is extremely important. Um, Like you said, I'm sure it drives coaches crazy if we pass on a lot of stuff in the first half and we're extra tight in the second half. So. You want to be consistent on both ends uh, throughout all four quarters of the game. Uh, also talk about, like I said, potential matchups that might cause us to have some problems. Um, how are we engaging with those matchups? or we utilizing our captains? or we communicating with our coaches and things of that nature? Um, use every asset you've got to make the game better. It's very, very important, um, especially if you have information that you can pass on to your partners. Uh, for us, like I said, if it's post play or if they're banging too hard, things of that nature. We want to make sure, hey, if I called it down there or that way, I want to make sure it's called this way down here as well, too. Uh, and like you said, those are the keys that make, make the game a lot better. Uh, and then just like you said, talk about the basic rotations, where we're at. Um, kids who are in foul trouble, uh, impact players. You know, They might have an off night or you see anything that might be brewing or developing where someone's going to get a little frustrated. That type of engagement, you can get in there, help talk the kids off the cliff. Uh, that's going to help the game get better. Those things I typically talk about with
0: a good halftime. All right, that's awesome stuff. I appreciate that, Andre. And I, I want to get to our last question. This will be the last question we have, and we'll wrap up the show. But this comes from Little Yeti out in uh, Sterling, Virginia. It's a it's a two-part question, so uh, hopefully we can just get a, a, a brief answer on this. Um, and I'll start with you, Irv. One is, how do you use your captains to help in the game? And number one, and number two is, how can you better respond to verbal comments from players that are upset? So, uh, Adam? Well, I would say for Irv,
1: first he's got to actually be at the captain's meeting. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs>
3: uh, okay. Yeah, good one, Adam. That's <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay. Um, using the captains, it's I, I feel, it's, and I've learned over the last couple years, uh, making sure that um, using those captains is, is critical because you can, you can go a long way with having those guys or girls be able to um, diffuse a lot of things that, that could happen or, or take place in a game. Because um, you know, as soon as you go to that captain and, and, and verbalize with them what you want to talk to them about, they are like ready to just jump on whoever their player is that, uh, uh, that, you're, that you're speaking to them about. But, but having those guys in your, in your, in your corner is huge and, and knowing who they are is also uh, important too because I, I think I remember a couple of weeks ago Andre was talking about not only knowing um, the number of players on the, on the court but also knowing how many assistant coaches are on the bench too because you can also use them uh, to, to help diffuse some things and, and not be so quick not wanting to talk to those assistant coaches because out of six assistant coaches one of them will be able to help you. But, yeah, knowing who those captains are and, and using them to your benefit um, is, is huge. And, and the second part of the question. So uh,
1: one thing I want to add to the captains uh, piece is when I meet with the captains, the one thing that I try to do very consistently is remember their names, their first names, because I get a lot more out of a kid when I use his or her first name than when I call them by a number. And they feel like they're a part of our game management crew. I just had a game recently where a player was getting a little out of line and I said something to him to knock it off and the captain said, hey, thanks for doing my job. I said, well, if you would do your job then I wouldn't have to do it for you. And so he appreciated that. He knew I was joking around. But th- those kids want to help. They're captains for a reason. They didn't just pick them out of a hat. Um, much to the surprise of many fans, they didn't just pick us out of, uh, up from Foot Locker to referee the game that night either. Um, in terms of when a, when a kid gets upset, I can... I, can just, I just want to relay a story of a game where I just had where at halftime a kid who could be a, a bit of a problem came up to my partner and, and me and said, hey, ref, what do I got to get to do? What do I got to do to get to the free throw line? And I am very confident that the vast majority of officials would say something along the lines of, you got to get fouled. And so all you're going to do there is inflame the situation. And remember we're dealing with children he's a 15 16 year old kid we're the adult and we're supposed to act like the adult and in this case I knew the kids first name because he happened to be one of the captains so perhaps not maybe the best of choices for a captain Um, but I leave that to the coach's decision and I said I'm using a fictitious name here I said Billy we'll do a better job of taking a look at that in the second half and what I did was defuse the situation, and he went off to the locker room thinking, okay, he heard what I had to say. Probably smart enough to know I ain't going to do a dang thing about it, but at least I didn't try to inflame the situation. And so I guess the ultimate point is don't talk at the kids. Talk with them. If you treat them like adults and treat them with respect, because that's what we want in return, then it becomes a two-way street, Right um don't expect respect if you don't put it out there for them
0: well again I, I want to thank everyone for uh their questions and and i want to really thank our guest today andre jones irv green for coming in our sponsors at the vienna inn again if you're looking for a great place to come for a, a beer or a bite to eat the vienna inn are located in downtown vienna is a great place to come and our other sponsor, the Steve Gordon Basketball Officials Camp. It's something that's close to our hearts. We're all part of the, the staff there. And uh, it's a great teaching camp if you want to learn three-person mechanics or if you just want to get a refresher for those that maybe haven't been to a camp in a long time and understand what sideline-oriented means and uh, cataloging plays and making sure that we have big-picture officiating and primary and secondary matchups. Those are Those are all the things that you get taught at our camp, which is held down at Randolph-Macon. Uh, You can go to sgboc.com and you can register there. They also have uh, a place if you are looking for a scholarship, you can uh, apply for a scholarship on the site as well. So with that, as always, Adam, you get the last word.
1: Thank you all for joining us today, and may this be the only inadvertent whistle in your day.
3: a dream. we were sipping a whiskey need highest floor the Bowery, and I was high enough to...